Hello, I'm Somi Aryan. I'm a tech philosopher, author, filmmaker, and the founder of Impeak. In this podcast, I speak with innovators at the forefront of emerging technologies. My guest on today's show is Jean-Paul Farage, head of community and partnership at Unstoppable Games. Now, the interesting thing about this interview is that as shocking as it may sound, I've never played video games in my life. And yet, I have some philosophical views on gaming and what it means for the future of Web3 and this new era of emerging technologies. This was a pretty fascinating conversation that I think you will enjoy, whether you like gaming or not. So thanks for being here, Jean-Paul. First things first, what would you say if I tell you that I have never played a video game in my life? <laughs> um, <laughs> Is that it, very strange? You know, it's it's... It's interesting because we have right now about like 3 billion people today that play video games. So, you know, not quite 50% of the population uh, plays video games, but the other, you know, we'll say 50% doesn't. Now, never playing a video game, that would surprise me. Like, you've, have you played like an arcade game or Pong or no, nothing like I, that? Wow. No, okay. I, I only, only when I was with my uh, previous partner, he, uh, his kids played Minecraft and they really wanted me to play with them. So I had an uh, attempt at playing <laughs> Minecraft and I was like, literally, like within a few minutes, I was like dying, like this character was like that. <laughs> and then they had to, they, they had to help me get to some watermelon, you know, and I, and then I ate all the watermelon and, and I <laughs> survived, <laughs> but I can't say I thrived. I mean, like, I don't think it's as, it's surprising, but it's interesting. Like, I'm curious, like fast forward 50 years from now, are we going to have people that have never played a video game? Like, I, I would say that we're probably moving more and more towards like what I would call a digital society yeah. than, than we, you know, away from it. Um, you're still going to have plenty of people that are trying to be like as off screen as possible. Uh, but you know, I, me build like uh, as part of a team building a video game, like they've been such a huge part of my life. And like, if I close my eyes and think about memories, you know, it's interesting, like I'll get video game memories where it's like, I wasn't even like me, I'm some fictional character in a game. And, and yeah, like I could put myself in that position, like in a memory, almost as equally as I can, like in the physical world. So uh, it, it is a little interesting, surprising though, no, I can see it, but I, I am curious 50 years from now, if people will still say that. Well, it's not that I don't play games because uh, I want to be off screen. I'm on screen all the time, you know, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm constantly working. Um, I see life as a game, uh, ironically, you know, like when, whenever I think about, you know, when I was very young, I used to think a lot about what's the meaning of life, like, why are we here? And uh, I came to the conclusion that uh, the meaning of life is the games that we play so that we can have, um, you know, these incredible experiences you know that's what it is right and and everything's a game so now as i'm building a business i think of it as a game for example yeah so i think you're right i think humans general nature is to gamify things yes um and we actually saw a huge rise of that during covid like before that uh, I, I like to give peloton as the example mm -hmm. um like before Peloton, like it wasn't really popularized to have like this big screen that you sat in front of and you like clicked a class. It was like, go, go, go. Like that's kind of a gamified way of working out. And I think 
people are generally easier to motivate if it's gamified than, than not gamified. Uh, but I'm wondering, was it something that video games brought about or? No, no, it... I'll tell you in a second. But one other thing is like, whenever I, I watch, I have two cats um, and I've had them since they were kittens. And it's so interesting watching them, how they play together, which makes you think. Uh, and then when you look at in, in the wild, you know, other animals as well, uh, playing is such an important part of, you know, uh, growing up. So the reason why I've never played any games, uh, not just video games, well, I mean, like, I suppose maybe when I was a kid, maybe I would have played with other kids sometimes, but I don't generally, I don't have many memories of playing. And that's because um, I was born during the Iran-Iraq war uh, in Tehran. And uh, of course, you know, being born during war, you know, like the country is in turmoil. So like yeah. there was a lot of, you know, sirens having to run to the shelters and, you know, things like that. So that so it's quite traumatic. And um, my my mother had an accident uh, when I was six weeks old and she burned herself. And because of that, she became really, her personality changed. She became so strict and, and like really, uh, she wouldn't allow me to play. So the reason why I have never played games is because my mother didn't allow me to play. Um, and then later on, uh, it, when video games became a thing, we never bought and, you know, it was like Atari, you know, like everybody yeah. else had it and we never had any. Um, you know, we were like the, the last family to buy a TV. So I grew up with like this idea that, you know, that like games are a waste of time. You know, like I was like, you know, gaming is like a waste of time. Like, well, why should I spend my time playing games? I should be studious all the time. In that sense, I almost feel like like my childhood was taken away. You know, I, I never had yeah. that. So I always have that in my mind that one day I want to build my own game. Okay, like and 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 I think that uh, you know with the platform that I'm building, it's a lifelong learning platform for emerging technologies, and I always think, especially when I look at how hard it is for let, uh, people that we call normies, you know, to uh, uh to get along with uh, blockchain technologies and like actually get their head around, um, you know, uh, setting up their MetaMask wallet, you know, and and yeah, like a lot building. To it. You know, like yeah, exactly. Like, like uh, actually, like how are they? How are they going to uh, even like learn how to build businesses in this space? It's going to be so hard for them. So in two thousand and seventeen, I uh, made a documentary called "The Millennial Disruption," uh, which was about how the millennial generation's um, you know consumption of me uh, media, social media, uh, especially, is changing the nature of marketing and advertising and business, and how how this means that so many of the um, legacy businesses are gonna are gonna basically go out of business, and in that documentary I mentioned you know the different a number of brands that I, I mentioned in that all of those brands literally within two years period from then they all went out of business at the end of that that documentary and actually um, Gary Vaynerchuk was also featured in it uh, I said basically that if you can't get your head around social media now what are you going to do when te uh, when blockchain technology is here right and this was like end of 2017 when I was saying this so, so now blockchain technology is here. And uh, I guess now the question is, and so many of the companies th uh, that went out of business during that time 
couldn't even get their head around social media and influencer marketing and you know all these other different aspects now they have to find a new way of building an audience and of course gamification is something that's like that's yeah. going to be very important when it comes to uh, things like tokenomics you know you look at you know that's why for example within the nft space i think that nft communities are going to completely uh, disrupt uh, the luxury brands space because yes. what the luxury brands are looking at at what's happening in the retail brands they look at what's uh, you know uh, with with the nft stuff all they do is that they just add an nft on top of the brand that they already have and this is what i've always been telling them that digital is a language you need to learn to to speak that language right okay. so now blockchain is like its own language right they need to learn to uh, uh to speak that language and uh, we need so many new ways of using uh gamification within the uh you know the nft space um, to build new brands. So as somebody who comes from the gaming industry, what's really fascinating for me and I, I want to explore today with you is what have you learned from a lifetime of playing games that you can now bring into how can we use gamification to first actually bring in new people to the space and then use it to to teach them you know this new space like yeah. is there is there uh, a i guess let me see if i can um put this correctly is it my wishful thinking that i'm trying to still kind of think of how can i make games useful <laughs> <laughs> no i actually think that's a really 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 big and broad topic there's a lot to unpack there um games in their nature uh, how I like to describe them is, is that they're shared experiences. So um, even if it's a solo player game, when you play that, you're having that experience. Now, if you meet someone else who has played that game, you almost have your own language. You know, I could talk about, oh, well, I was in the castle with blah, blah. And like all of a sudden someone who's played that is going to know. So it's actually a way to create relationship a lot of times. Um, you know, I have real friends that I have made from games, uh, which I think, you know, 50 years ago, people would have been like, what do you mean? You know, oh, one, uh, internet wasn't really around back then, but like, it's it's a new form of building relationships. Uh, but how can you apply gaming and like making life a game uh, to, you know, pushing maybe the world forward, uh, getting more digital and, and one adapting blockchain, especially with the business that you're trying to build, where you're trying to build kind of an educational platform that brings people in and gets them to understand all this information. I love, love, love podcasts. I listen to them all the time. I have ones that I religiously listen to like Bankless uh, and, and you know, you just absorb information really well that way. Um, the thing that like a normal podcast platform or something, in my opinion, may lack is unless you just really like, you know, that guest or that host, um, there's not a lot of incentive to just keep listening to that one podcast. So this is where, in my opinion, gamification and tokens and things like that could very much have its place in the future of, of you know, these platforms being built. Now, I also want to state that not every product needs blockchain or a token. It, it, like, you know, it's funny. I joke with people. I'm like, what about like 
burritos on the blockchain. Like people go that far. They're just like everything. It's going to be, it's like, no, there's very useful applications for it. And then there's not so useful applications for it. Um, but gamification in my own life, I do every day. Uh, you can't see it, but on front of my computer screen, I have three post-it notes um, right now. And one says read, one says uh, develop healthy skill tree. And the other one says generative art. Those are three things I'm focusing on this month. When I'm done with the month, I'm just going to put them on the wall and it'll be like achievements. Like I did that this month. If I didn't do them, I look at them and I'm like, oh, I didn't do it. So it's like you you have that kind of love-hate relationship That's with so it. Cool. That's um, so cool. <laughs> and it's funny that you mentioned like gamification, especially in relation to kind of what you're building, because in in games, what a lot of games have when you're developing your character is a set of progression. So as you get further, you build skills. Same in life. You know, the more you're absorbing, the more time you spend learning, you know, the more adaptable you are, the more refined you are in whatever skills that you're trying to learn and, and the better you are to, to be utilized in all different things. And if you want to take on your own business, go for it, or you get hired by a company and you're really good at that thing. So uh, it's, I've actually been tossing this idea around right now for fun, because in my own life with COVID and everything, I've slowed down, I've gained some weight, I'm working from like home, I'm not moving as much. So I'm trying to get back into being healthy. Uh, and, and in my own way, I think the best way that I know how because of my years and years of playing games is to gamify it. And so I put this idea of building a healthy skill tree on my skills I'm learning this month or, or things I'm trying to grow. And, and this is literally the act every day, 30 minutes I'm spending building out what I think are the necessary components to being healthy and then expanding on that. And then I'm going to put it into a very rough, what's called skill trees in games. And so the goal, the end, what you'll call like winning skill tree, that max level is having a healthy life. But, you know, having a healthy life is mental, physical, and emotional. And so you have to have all of those to have a fully, you know, fulfilled, healthy life there. And, and there's a lot to unpack. And then there's questions to be asked. And so I think applying this type of thing now to maybe your platform, you could develop the blockchain skill tree. So the end goal is to be a master of the blockchain. But that might mean different things for different people. For you uh, in your business, it might be content producer. So fundamental skills that you'd have to learn down that skill tree would be like content development, how to properly run a podcast, social media, you know, all this stuff. But then also the basics uh, information of what is the blockchain? How do I explain it to people who are new to it? So you keep breaking it down into all its smallest pieces, and then you can find and categorize those things into what I believe are more digestible chunks and you can provide really easy onboarding like quizzes essentially. So when you go, like you could look it up right now uh, online and Google like uh, health test and you'll get like a 27 question quiz that's like answer these things. And they're pretty ambiguous. They're like, how often or not often do you get outside in the day? And like me, I try and go outside every day. So I'm like, okay, often. But another question is, do you work out at least once a week? I'm like, oh God, they got me there. Not so often. Like, and, and as you answer those questions, you can define the core um, 
like skills that you already have versus the things that you are lacking. And so blockchain, most people are lacking a vast majority of that information. And so it might be really difficult for them to digest all of it. They just hear Bitcoin, Ethereum, tokens, NFT, and the word probably that comes to mind is also scam. And, and that is something we need to remove from the language of blockchain completely, but we're not gonna do that unless we make it approachable. And so applying gamification to it is something that might be very useful. And, and with my experience in gaming, I think the best way I could tell someone how to do that would be to develop a blockchain skill tree and let users come in to answer a 50 question quiz in their like competencies of you know, competencies around blockchain. And then it would give them a very uh, you know, aligned, okay, these are all the things you're lacking in, these are the things you're good at. And then you can figure out what interests you, content development, actual development, like uh, Solidity or you know, whatever language you might be learning and, and go from there. So uh, I think games can be very easily applied to you know, life learnings and, and things of that nature. Yeah, definitely. That is, uh, that's so interesting. So I had never heard of a skill tree. So is this a, is, is this like a gaming uh, um, uh, term? Yeah, so ha uh, a really easy visual to it would be like, let's say you are playing Minecraft, the one that you play with your, your, your ex-partner's uh, kids. And um, in order to let's say eat these watermelons you were talking about earlier, like there might be some general things you need to learn. So uh, you might have to have your character run to something or jump and, and you, that might be the physical activity skill tree. And so like there might be ways in the game to level up how high you can jump or how fast you can run. And then eating a, a watermelon, maybe you have to grow the watermelon. So there might be like a skill tree around like gardening or farming or something like that. And, and they're all the necessary components. And as you progress through the game, you master different components, you become better at it. And at the end of it, you are the master of X, Y, or Z. Now, I think in life, you always have opportunity to continue to grow. Games are a little bit limited. You know, you reach that max level and that's kind of the end of the progression tree. Uh, but in life, what I love is that you always have the opportunity to learn more. Even if you are the absolute best at something in the whole world, you probably only know 0.1% of what that possible topic has to offer. Like um, my game has to do with space and I'm a total nerd for this type of stuff. We haven't even had people on Mars yet. Like, you know, that's gonna be incredible when we do, but it's like, we have gone through iteration after iteration, experiment after experiment and like hundreds of billions of dollars spent and like, if, if someone like an alien life form had the ability to come visit earth right now, they'd be like, wow, you guys are so far behind right now because we have so much to learn. And, and you know, I think that's the beauty of life is that we just continually get to learn. It's, it's a privilege that we have that. And I think if, if you're not growth minded in that sense, um, you're gonna start to feel fairly stagnant in life. <laughs> Definitely, definitely. This is so interesting. So, um, I have look. I, I call myself a tech philosopher. I studied um, political philosophy, philosophy of science and technology. I have written a book about the future of work. You know, I've always been like really deeply uh, interested in uh, artificial intelligence, and then later on, you know, more into blockchain as well. I think a lot about the fact that we are 
potentially living in a simulation. Um, you know that that we are that we are li- that this is a simulation, and I feel that this simulation is part of another simulation. Because imagine, why am I saying this? <laughs> like people uh, <laughs> sometimes they think that they are uh, that. Uh, I actually had this conversation with Travis Kling. You know, of all people. Yeah, and, I watched. And, I watched your. Podcast oh, you watched here. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you, you said that you you. I, I remember you emailed me about that. Yeah, yeah. So I thought you would be the best person to talk to about this because you're in gaming, you know. Yeah. Um, so here's my wild uh, thesis, and you know, and I'm the more I think about it, the more I become convinced that we are living in a simulation. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, people like uh, Nick Bostrom have talked about this. You know, there's like there are there are some people. Yeah, Nick Bostrom, uh, uh, his book is Super Intelligence. Uh, he's a very, very, very well-respected um, Oxford University professor. I actually applied to do a PhD with him, and he doesn't take on new students. <laughs> so, so here's my, uh, you know, thesis is that look, we are now building our own metaverse, and we are like for the past ten years or so, I've been obsessed with the idea of whether AI could become sentient, whether AI could, um, you know, uh, gain some form of consciousness, you know, uh, how is that possible? Like, is whether consciousness is emergent or uh, whether it's fundamental? You know, these are questions that I think about all the time. And, um, and now that we are building our own metaverse uh, and we are building characters within our metaverse i don't know if you watched um westworld have you i was about i literally wrote down westworld i was like (laughs) i have to bring this up because yes (laughs) like so so with westworld was a very good example of how like the thing that led to these essentially ais uh to become conscious was that they started to have memory so they started to have memories of you know uh, of their past and I remember when I would look at this, I hope that people listening to this podcast don't think, that, okay, we are going to stop listening to Somi. She lost the plot. <laughs> but, but there are things that, uh, that obviously that I have uh, been thinking about for a very long time, but I didn't used to publicly talk about them. But now that the metaverse, uh, you know, discussion is such a big discussion, it's making me feel more confident, you know, at least like exploring and, and talking about it. So, so when I was uh, when I was very young, like about three four years old, I uh, constantly thought, uh, you know, where where did I come from? Like I constantly think uh, it was like I would sit in front of the mirror and think like I felt like I know these eyes, you know, like I, I felt like I like I I had come from somewhere. So and I constantly. Yeah thought like it just would like sit down and close my eyes and like felt like I was going back right like I was like going back in in space in in the dark and and I felt like I was somewhere before I was here like I felt like there was something else like and then as you grow uh older you go to school this was way before school and I remember it very clearly as you go to school then you're put through other experiences and and other pressures and then like you're constantly pushed to not think about anything outside the box right like you're just supposed to like memorize your uh, revise and memorize your things and then like doing do the exams 
I started to do very poorly at school. So now I have two master's degrees. And like it's, it, it, you would never believe, like if you, if you saw my scores, when I was like, <laughs> you know, you would never believe like how successful I went on to become. But I was like, um, you know, I did very poorly at school because I was like not interested in anything like what they were teaching. I was just reading science fiction on the side, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, initially the translations in Persian. And then once I learned English, like it was like literally the ability to read books in English was the thing that really drew me to teach myself English. So I, I just I taught myself English between I started when I was 10 and then by the time I was 14, I was comfortably reading books in English. Um, and I learned most of my English through reading, which is why I still have a, uh, I have an accent, but I, I learned mostly through reading. So I started you know, reading a lot of uh, books about these topics. So that question stood, uh, stayed with me and I continued to think about, you know, uh, think about it. And um, the more I think about it, I, I don't know if you've read the book, uh, The Case Against Reality, or have you heard of it? Oh. I, I, I mean, I have not read it. I, there are, there's so many good sci-fi books that I, I have to still this read. Is not sci-fi. <laughs> this is not sci-fi. This is a, this is a non-fiction, serious non-fiction non book. Oh, okay. A serious, uh, uh, you know, um, university professor. His name is uh, Donald Hoffman. And he basically talks about the fact that uh, he uh, has discovered that um, natural selection does not, uh, does not want us to see reality as it is. Um, natural selection wants us to uh, see illusions, um, mm. you know, uh, as a way to um, for us to to survive and and you know continue, uh, uh, you know, uh, appropriating etc. Um, <laughs> so, but but uh, essentially, in it, he basically talks about the fact that um, he doesn't directly say that, but essentially, he's implying that the world is not three D and like you know that this is the reality isn't as it seems and that everything is essentially an illusion. And he, he gives the example of, if you think about, you know, let's say your life is kind of like, um, you know, uh, it's like an icon on a desktop. So, you know, like you could, you, you could, because for example, some people, when, when they listen to him, they think, um, so are you saying, that my life doesn't matter. So like, I can't die, for example. And he says, no, no, no. It's kind of like, say, if I drag this icon from my desktop into the trash bin uh, and then delete it, then that is destroyed. So even, so essentially, essentially if you think of it, like in a game, your character yeah. can die, right? So, so, so there is an actual death, right? But, but it's like within the game. So where yeah. I'm going with that is that what if, uh, like, what if, as we build these games and 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 these metaverses, um, you know, I don't know, this may not happen in our lifetime, but I, I do believe that we are moving towards a, a technological singularity, and I think something big will happen, and that something big is going to be re related to the metaverse, um, and uh, and I think gaming has a a role to play in there, right? Like, I don't yeah. know what all of these things are, but I feel like there are dots and I'm like, so bringing them together and, and something is going to happen. Something big is going to happen in this, in this century and in our lifetime. And I, I have a lot, yeah, a lot of opinions on Well, you know, I think uh, going back to, you know, you talking about Westworld, I mean, I think that's a really beautifully done 
show, especially the first season, to have people question what is reality and what is consciousness and what makes a human human. Um, and, and, you know, I've always been under the impression that while we are intelligent beings, like it doesn't make us unique. Um, and, and I do think that like, if you watch uh, like the anime um, Ghost in a Shell, for example, that's another really, really wonderful one. I don't know if you've seen that, but like that, that and Westworld, like What's it called from uh, Ghost? Ghost, Ghost in the Shell uh, or in a shell, um, I don't. For some reason, I'm drawing a blank there, but it's a very famous anime uh, movie. And it is at the end of it, you basically think, uh, I don't want to spoil it. So for you particularly, but um, it makes you question what is the nature of reality? And, and I don't mean that like we live in a simulation or that we're like uh, just nothing matters. Um, but the the essential thing here is that like, one, consciousness, I think, uh, can be defined in a lot of different ways. And, and I do believe that in the future, uh, likely through technological advancements from uh, the research of going to space, uh, because there just is so much uh, that needs to be learned and engineered and, and you know, uh, have lots of scientists on board there, um, medical fields, and then gaming, especially uh, because you're, you're pushing technology forward and, and technology isn't inherently good or bad. It just is what it is. Um, and eventually I do think we'll have machines that are, you know, conscious. Uh, and, and when that is, could it be 50 years? Could it be 500 years? Uh, I don't know, um, but I, I actually hope that that happens. And when you think about the, the world, I think um, Carl Sagan has a quote that just says, you know, we're all just made of stardust or, you know, and it's like, it's true. Like, you know, if I die tomorrow and I uh, compost into the ground, I'm the same thing as I was before. Now you may not hear my voice. I may not be in the same shape anymore, but like that matter is neither, you know, created nor destroyed. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it's so fascinating to think about that, like, even though people pass on, things uh, like this um, really cause people, I think, to have a lot of sadness in their life or, or you know, like they, they just get stuck around like, oh, what does life mean? Uh, you know, I think you can learn a lot through through gaming and just watching these these shows or reading sci-fi books. And, and my um, summary of, of all of this is that like life is what you make it. Uh, there is no inherited, you know, destiny or meaning to every action. And, and you just like, you should want to make the world better. It, you, you don't have to, it's not a requirement. A lot of people don't, uh, but you, like, if you're passionate about something and you just keep pushing forward um, in whatever it is that you're passionate about, I think overall you make the world a better place uh, because your passion will inspire others. Those people who are passionate will inspire others. And, and it carries us to new heights. And, and I think blockchain is, is something that is so hotly debated uh, in, in current times that like gaming, for example, on blockchain is like received by the mainstream gamer as a scam still. And to me, that is, while I'd like it to change, it's an opportunity. Like we have to prove ourselves that we're not a scam. Uh, and, and as we move further and further down, uh, you know, time, I'm hoping that we can prove everyone that blockchain is this really 
incredible technology that can lead to a myriad of new use cases that people had never thought about. And I can't even predict what they will be, but similar to when the internet uh, came out uh, or even like the steam engine, you know, like there's all these things that every time this big new technology comes out, there's a huge group of the general populace that says either that is wrong or that is a scam or it can't be done or, you know, I won't use it even if it does like do like, that's fine because uh, in reality, a lot of people don't like change, um, but change is inevitable. And, and you have kind of the few at the bleeding edge pushing things forward. Um, and, and so I think it's just, it's an opportunity to, to learn more, to discover more, to make the world a more interesting place. I don't know if it's better or worse. I don't think that's really the question. It's more just the opportunity. Like today we hold a phone in our hands that is more powerful than pretty much every computer in the whole world combined 20 years ago. Like, like you know, it's it blows your mind when you think yeah. about these things. Yeah, that that um, the phone in our hand has got more uh, power <laughs> than uh, than what uh, Bill Clinton had like in, in 1990 something. So one thing I want to mention that like if if our uh, world is indeed a simulation within another world, yeah. uh, that doesn't mean that nothing matters because exactly. the experiences are still real. One interesting theory to think about is that, you know, when, when we create our metaphors, we will be driving, at least initially, we will be driving the characters that are there. So, so there are still like a, uh, a different uh, imagination of us or iteration of us, right? Like, like say, for example, if I have my moonbird, yeah, you know, in the metaverse, right? And my moonbird is having certain experiences. Essentially, I'm having those experiences, uh, you know, yes. through it. They're right? an extension of you. Yeah, but could we perceive a time when those characters then they detach from, like, their consciousness or their, you know, their play would like detach from us, right? And then they yeah. could, like, continue and and. Yeah, that they could continue to play. So now within, like as a gaming expert, what will happen if you uh, use machine learning, you know, to allow these game, uh, these uh, characters to play? See, look, where, where I'm going with this is that, like right now, if we compete, right? Yeah. Uh, let's say we both play a game and we compete. In the end, like I win or you win or somebody else wins uh, as a result of the consciousness uh, of me that is like playing that but what if you could play uh, you could create a game where they could be detached from you right and then yeah. they and you could be like the observer and they could be playing and this is conceivable like we are we're not far from it right yeah no it's actually it's it's a really interesting thing so i think the first thing is like if we let's just put ourselves in the idea that the world is a simulation within a simulation and I call it like the fractal world, mm -hmm. you know, there's just infinite fractals of yeah, the I universe. So. Um, I have a reoccurring dream that like, I'm actually just like part of a cell floating around another body. Like I'm just a cell in someone else's body and it just infinitely can go on forever. Uh, but, and I find that fascinating. What I think is really unique at the time that we live in with blockchain and specifically in applying to games is that never before have we had the opportunity to have so much uh, 
information public. So the cool thing about, and specifically I'll talk about Ethereum because it's a public blockchain. Every action taken on the blockchain can be looked at. Now you may not know who took that action, but you can see information about every single thing that has happened. And it is an extremely powerful tool that will drive incredible innovation. Now, when we look at games um, and, and we'll say, we're gonna fast forward 20, 30, 40, 50 years, uh, empowered by the blockchain and gaming and thinking about like AI and being kind of detached from that character. I think it is very possible with machine learning and, and uh, you know, continued uh, developments in, in AI that they'll start to learn from each other because all of those transactions are public knowledge. So when you look at traditional gaming right now, how it works is that you pay for basically time in a game, regardless of whether or not you're paying to play or it's free to play, but you're buying things. None of that data you get to see. Um, you, can, you can see the actions that you took. You can sometimes look at some of the history of what other characters have done, but the entire envelope of, of the game is really housed within kind of privatized spaces, uh, usually in a server in like AWS, uh, you know, mega, mega buildings. Um, so with the, with the blockchain now, you have the ability for people to look at what are all the actions happening and, and what can I do with that? And so if we have machine learning and, and things that go on further and further, you might end up getting bots, which are a really weird thing in gaming. Um, you don't play games, so you probably don't know, hear much about this, but like they're a very contested point. Like people don't like bots in games because they kind of, you know, take away from yeah. what players perceive as what should or shouldn't be done. But I, influence and spe uh, like specifically our game, we have a very open policy when it comes to botting uh, because with, with a bot, we don't have what's called any non-player characters in our game. A non-player character is when you walk up to a unit that has been created by the development team. So you're in a world, the whole point of this world is let's just say like to make cakes and you can learn new recipes to make cakes. Usually there's like a non-player character NPC that you can walk up and be like, I've made 10 blueberry cakes. I can learn now how to make a chocolate cake and you pay whatever in-game currency to that NPC. And they're like, cool, now you have the recipe to make this new cake. Uh, in Influence, this giant epic space strategy MMO, um, we don't have those non-player characters. So all the skills, all that information, all that education and science and stuff done within the game you have to learn through other players. So in the future of this game, if you want to learn how to make another ship, you're going to have to go find a player that has made that ship before or has unlocked that ability. And now if you look at bots, they can be programmed and scripted to do very, you know, possibly rigid or open uh, set of actions within the game. Uh, and it creates opportunity because if a player knows that thing is a bot and it's producing some kind of value within the world uh, of influence, they can utilize that to their advantage, um, you know, or they can perceive it as a negative action. Same thing goes for auto automated driving cars in the real world today. If you think about automated driving cars, I hate traffic, take me away. Like I want an automated driving car right now. Like, yes, please. But the ramifications of that are quite huge. Um, the trucking industry in the United States, I think, has about 3 million employees or truck drivers. 
So now you're looking at taking away jobs if you have automated, you know, vehicles. Uh, and people get really, really contentious about that. Like that's a hotly debated topic. But is it bad? Not necessarily. Like there's no inherent, like, like it's not bad, it's not good. It just is. The thing about it is that what do other people do now? So as long as there's opportunity elsewhere or that that openness that that creates provides more opportunity in another realm, it, I think it's a total positive thing. Um, so I think just the way that you look at like consciousness and, and like automation and AI, it's just opportunity for, I think, humans to be more big thinkers rather than menial task workers. Uh, and, and that is exciting. Uh, not everyone wants to be a scientist or a tech philosopher or, you know, a community head of community and partnerships for a video game. But I think the opportunities for people to do things um, that most people never thought possible uh, in the future are going to become a lot more readily available. And you see that very heavily uh, in the content creator world. Um, a really interesting statistic that I found out was, I, I think, two in five Gen Xers or, uh, you know, the or Gen Z, whatever the newest generation Gen is right Z. now, yeah, Gen Z, uh, Gen Z uh, they, um, they, I think it's two out of five now find their information through TikTok or Instagram yeah. rather than Google. And, and so this is a huge shift already. And so content creator world is a massive, massive industry and it's not going away, it's only gonna get bigger. And I think blockchain and NFTs in particular are going to open the floodgates to things that we never thought possible. Um, I actually just wrote an article and submitted it uh, to a few publications. Uh, I, I believe it got picked up. I won't name the publication yet because uh, there's no confirmation yet. But uh, part of that is NFTs as digital identity. So um, I use a profile picture of one of the characters in Influence as my, my Twitter uh, and Discord you know, avatar. When I look at it, I don't see the avatar anymore. I just see my myself, basically. Yeah, totally. Uh, and and you know, I think that's only going to get bigger and bigger over time. And the idea of true digital ownership that is empowered by the blockchain and in these non-fungible tokens is extremely valuable. Uh, because right now, for example, whatever outfit you're wearing, you chose that outfit. Why did you choose it? Because you like it, you like maybe the material, you like the look, maybe all of it, whatever it is, um, maybe it's the designer. Now, we've never had that opportunity to do in the digital space. We've never had the opportunity to say, I like this thing because it's really cool and own it. Now with NFTs, we can own it. And, and it's just such a incredible, like the more that I think about it, the more excited I get about it, but the mainstream, hasn't quite, it's not there yet. And for good reason, I don't think the technology has really taken off. And there's a few different reasons why. Um, the biggest one is the user experience. So I have a bit of a background in UX and UI, user experience and, and design. And the thing about like games and, and things is that they're very complex experiences that you get to interact with and they require really heavy, um, an intensive design around how to make it easy and approachable to do all these things. Um, and blockchain is still very clunky. It's hard to do things. It's not like you don't flow, like you have to think about using blockchain and people don't want to think. Uh, I can almost guarantee you if you ask out of a hundred people, how does the internet work? You're not going to get a good answer out of probably 90% of them 
they just use it. Why? Because it's available and easy to do and it connects them to everything. Blockchain's the same way, but we haven't developed the tools yet to make it easy access for everyone. And so yeah. we need that. And, and something I think that's going to develop very heavily in the next five years is two things. Uh, NFTs as digital identity and uh, the easy onboarding through Web3 wallet um, integration. So like Web3 authentication, something people hate about the internet now that is so like no one likes it. How many passwords and accounts do you have yeah. across like 5 million sites? And it's just, it blows your mind. Like my phone today, I got a notification was like a data breach happened and one of your passwords is unsecure. I'm like, I don't even remember the site. Like, you know, it's so hard to remember all this. So blockchain simplifies that so easily. We have a wallet that we own with an, an encryption key basically to access that. So we know that it's ours that so far has not been hacked in that way. Uh, and we can both store our digital collectibles and we can connect to every site possible with a click of a button. We log in once and then we have access to everything. So, you know, there's so many utility, uh, there's so many use cases for this uh, that I, I mean, I can name so many, but one that I think that's gonna be really, really wonderful is the utilization of like, uh, a token that can be rewarded. Brave Browser does this. They award you basic attention token for utilizing and watching advertisements. And the end goal there is like, if you go to New York Times, right now you have to pay for a subscription to utilize, like read all of their stuff. And, and sure, that's fine. I wanna support them. I pay for New York Times, like that's great. But I don't want to pay for 40 different subscriptions with 40 different accounts. I'd rather just have one account, one subscription, and whatever those platforms charge, it just gets lumped into one thing. And, and we have a very straightforward path uh, to do that with uh, blockchain. And this applies for gaming too. Like every game that you play, you have to log into a separate account. You have to use your email address, like whatever it is. It's just data collection and, and you know, one, I would like more privacy and, and ownership of my own data. That's a whole nother topic that I could spend a million hours talking about. But um, if, you, if you just move forward with blockchain technology as like kind of single sign-on authentication, it's gonna open up the avenue for a much better user experience while using the internet that we all love today and promote a lot of ability for content creators to monetize and connect directly with their audiences and not be beholden to um, platforms like YouTube or Instagram or Facebook or Twitter even. Uh, and you'll still have to use those platforms. There will be new ones created. But when someone signs up through Web3 authentication on your site and they can claim, let's say an NFT to say, uh, this is the Somi uh, NFT, welcome to the club. Now you have that in your wallet. You can use that as a token gate. So when they come onto your website, only people with that free claimable token can look at your content. What do you get out of that? Well, you have this massive wealth of, uh, you know, like people that all have your NFT and you can easily interact with them beyond and and you're not you're not having to go to one platform or another you have direct access to them and i think that's something that's going to be huge in the future is ownership of your audience and and that will open up just monumental change in the the you know gaming and creator world yeah absolutely 
super interesting. So, um, <laughs> so that there's quite a lot to, uh, you know, that you covered there. So you basically made my life easy. I didn't have to ask you that many questions. You just <laughs> like riffed and like sort of covered uh, a lot. And please do send me that article once it's out. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd really love to read it. So um, I am aware that we are almost at time. I wanted to ask you this. I've often heard that traditional gamers don't know if that's the right i hope people don't <laughs> non-blockchain gamers don't like nfts and blockchain yeah. why why is that? is that true and why is it um so i think the it distills down to we haven't proven to them that they should like them uh when everything in this last bull market was circled around kind of like quick money and token tokenomics to basically what create what I call or what is called greater fool schemes where you get in early and you make a lot it forms a pyramid the people towards the top make a lot and everyone at the bottom is left holding the bag so this was extremely prevalent throughout the entire industry not just gaming and and gamers um, they don't want to be uh, monetized like that they want experiences that are fun and easy uh, for them to get into and then to explore and and enjoy their game for you know countless hours um so you know we need fun games that are released and then so like influence the game that we're working on we're hoping to be a very fun challenging space strategy mmo that these people can enjoy and and yeah you can spend money in the game but it's not required all the time and everything that you do is yours when you um when you take actions and you own those assets that you've produced it's a lot different than than current systems but people don't care about that yet because there aren't games that they should care about that with and and so i i think we're we're at the the precipice of change here and and we'll we'll see that happen very soon uh but it's not to say that things like Axie and all these other games that were released that kind of turned into these get rich quick schemes. Um, and I'm not knocking any of the teams that was never their intention. Uh, it, it's not that these were bad. Actually, we learned a lot from them. Uh, and so we're able to look at what they did, how they did it, what people liked, what people didn't like and adapt it to make sure that when we release our game at the very least, that, that we're taking into consideration the community and the player base uh, more than you know past games have. So uh, yeah, I, I think that that that's the summary of my answer. For, okay, no, you that's, know. that's interesting. Okay, so so the blockchain industry, I don't know blockchain industry the industry. Is <laughs> yeah, the blockchain community, Web three community needs to uh, take and make an effort to actually reach those type of gamers that are that haven't bought into it yet yeah so, so yeah for example when you're advertising a a game right now typically the the easiest way to find a gamer uh, or to get in front of a gamer is influencers um and influencers have an audience and they try and protect their audience from things that feel scammy or are bad games and so you need to get good games in front of good uh, influencers so you can get in front of the right audience. Um, and, and when a game produces something that's worthwhile uh, and we can get in front of audiences that might actually be interested in that game, 
Um, I think they're going to be able to overlook the blockchain aspect of it as long as that game speaks to them and is easy to onboard into. Um, so, you know, I think it's as simple as that. There's a lot that goes into making that happen. And our, our team is working very hard on a lot of these systems and other people uh, like Starkware and Argent X, they're working on tool sets that will enable all this as well. But it's, it's right now we have a tool belt that's not filled. Like we have some tools, but not all of them. And, and we're getting there. And once that tool belt is ready, we're, we're gonna be able to build really beautiful things um, and, and release games people care about. Amazing. So last question, do you remember uh, you did an interview with Carly Riley uh, on Overpriced JPEGs yeah. uh, at the end of last year, or was it early this year? And you had some predictions about this. Yeah. Year. So how did that go? <laughs> Yeah, um, to be honest, I don't remember the exact predictions that I made word for word. You, you were um, talking about, um, essentially, you were basically saying that uh, the merge would happen around, was it like April or May? And I think I said June. Oh, oh, oh. no, I think she said June. You were like earlier. Yeah, maybe, maybe that was the case. Uh, regardless of that, I think overall the predictions that I had made earlier in the year um, were filled with maybe maybe some over overly optimistic ideas because we were still kind of in that big bull run uh, euphoriaism. Uh, but I'm, I'm extremely bullish, bullish in general uh, on this technology. Um, I wouldn't be here if I wasn't, uh, because it's not an easy industry to work in. Uh, you you catch a lot of flack from the mainstream, and it's a new technology with not as many tools ready for you. Uh, so uh, that creates a lot of opportunity, but there's a lot of challenge there. So um, the predictions that I had in, in terms of price of like Ethereum and stuff like that, I mean, way off, obviously. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. To, to kind of bring that up as a last point uh, of like, see how you feel about all of that. But, <laughs> but you know what? Nobody in all of those, like she, she had this conversation, Carly, with so many people. Yeah. Uh, right? And nobody thought that we are going to go into this situation of like the... <laughs> the Fed suddenly raising rates and like, you know, yeah. all of the kind of like essentially going to a recession. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's a huge thing. I think what's interesting about the time that we're living in is, is that like a huge percentage of the factors that are causing kind of like a downward pressure on, on the crypto industry um, are larger meta factors of, of world, you know, issues. Um, and then some really negative exposure with like Voyager and Three Arrows Capital and things like that. But the I think the point here to really take from from those things, if you're looking at the, the negativity uh, and, and that exposure in, in like kind of a, a bad way, is that all of those things that happened were because of centralized exposure. So if you look at crypto, the things that were safe and are still chugging along and just as wonderful as they ever were are like Uniswap. Like they, sure their price of the token is down, but like their system works flawlessly. And, and so like what I think I take from that is like decentralization matters. And that's what I've always believed. And now we're really seeing it. We're putting it like right in front of people's faces and seeing like, this is what happens when you try and centralize crypto. It doesn't work. Um, but 
when you have decentralized open uh, free networks uh, and a public blockchain empowered by my favorite Ethereum, you have this really beautiful ecosystem that is able to arise from that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, that's I think that's a great place to bring it to an end. Thank you so much. It, it's been really great. And I look forward to following your journey, maybe even playing your game one day. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see if I, Influence can be your first game. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jean-Paul Farage. Be sure to follow his work on Twitter and keep an eye out for what they're building at Unstoppable Games. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe to it on Apple, Spotify, or any other one of your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to give it a five-star rating and write a review. The full interviews are also on my YouTube channel, The Somi Ariane Show.